This is OPI Talk, the voice of the business products industry. Hello and welcome to this episode of OPI Talk with me, Andy Braithwaite. My guest today is someone who has been in the business products industry for the best part of 30 years. And this episode ties in with the 30th anniversary issue of OPI magazine, which has just been published. And if you haven't seen that yet, head over to opi.net and click on the magazine tab at the top of the page. Now, I'm not going to say the name of the person in this episode, and why not will become apparent at the start of the interview. But just maybe, like me, you are someone who has been unwittingly mispronouncing his first name all these years. Your first name is Cesare, isn't it? Is that the correct pronunciation? Because I always hear Cesare or Cesare, and I, I think Indeed. it's Cesare, but... Uh, exactly. Yeah. It took 30 years with no success. <laughs> uh, and the worst place, the worst place that never got it really is the UK. I have so many friends in the UK, and there's not a single person who can pronounce my name properly. It's Cesare. Cesare. It's really Okay. But it doesn't matter as well, because I'm so used to all the variations coming from all the countries uh, that, you know, don't change. Don't okay. change. But okay. We'll set the record straight once and for all with this podcast by saying Cesare. It's, that sounds like I was named when I was born. That's perfect. perfect. <laughs> okay. Cesare, congratulations on 30 years in the office products industry. How, how does that feel? Well, it's actually uh, still a few months to go, but uh, how does that feel? It, 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 you know, time flies. It's, um, uh, of course, something that uh, I never expected uh, when I joined Celta 30 years ago. Uh, you, you never think you'll remain in the same company and because I treat Aco Europe as the continuity of a Salta, obviously, mm. uh, that you'll be in the same place uh, two years later. But uh, uh, it, it was, together with, with, with a happy family life, uh, the best period in my life, no, no doubt about yeah. it. And, and as you said, 30 years with the same company, you started off as a sales manager at a Celta in, in Poland, and you are now president of Aco Brands. EMEA responsible for for how many people exactly? Oh, exactly. I, I can't tell, but I mean it's it's two and a half thousand people right. and okay. six hundred million turnovers. So. Okay, a great a great story of someone climbing the the corporate ladder. So c- congratulations on your on your career. Thank you, thank you very much. You know, when I started, I was a sales manager, but I I was managing some sales, but I wasn't managing any people because I was on my own. So just just one guy in the market. So. Yeah. Let's go back to those early days uh, when you, when you started off a Celta in Poland. What what was the what were you selling? What was the what was the market like? I mean, how how did you do business? Right. You, you know, this is this is. Uh, I, I I think it may be interesting from from two perspectives. First of all, for me, it was obviously the beginning, almost the very beginning of my professional career, my second job. And, but but, but it, that was also a period of a tremendous change in my country, you know, 90, the early 90s. So uh, for, for a Western company, international company, to actually decide to invest and to open their own subsidiary, it, it was very early days. 
there, there weren't many companies present at that time. I think there was only 3M and, and SLT at that time. Um, and I was employed more to explore the market opportunities. There were no big expectations as to sales uh, immediately. Uh, I, was, I was doing a lot of research. I was, I was uh, supposed to report back to the, to the corporation and so on. But you know, so, soon after that, I realized that there is actually a lot of demand in the market and the market is, is, is thriving and developing very quickly. I started to sell. And when they saw those indexes of, of you know, thousands of percent year to year, they realized there is a market and, and started to, to take it more seriously. Uh, we, uh, at the same time, uh, were uh, able to invest some money into a manufacturing plant. So, so the company suddenly became a player uh, and uh, soon after that, a leader in the market. And, and of course, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not me who, uh, who uh, did it, but I had a chance to participate. And, and, uh, and, and that was uh, a terrific, uh, exciting period, really, just to, 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 to be able to develop. Uh, but as, as, I, as I said, the title sales manager was a little bigger than, than <laughs> on my role because you know, I was, I was, it was me and my car. <laughs> so what, what were the star products back, back in 1991? Well, there was almost exclusively uh, filing products, uh, the traditional filing products, and the leverage file was the, the, the hero product. And I have a, a little story about that, uh, uh, maybe for later in our conversation. Uh, but the leverage file, which, which was uh, the number one product, that's what the Celta was famous for, even from uh, the times before I started. So there was a firm base uh, already created before. And that was also the first product which we started to make in Poland. So, so and, and, and that was a that was a leader number one or two on every uh, purchase list, you know, so everybody needed the product and, and, and we were very well recognized for it. So in a way, in a way, I had an easy ride with a hero product like that. Everybody needed that. Uh, it, it wasn't a one product show, but almost. Okay. Uh, and who were the customers? I, I guess there weren't any big boxes back back in those days. No, there weren't. There was actually, uh, before I started, there was a very small, uh, consisting of just few accounts, uh, import network of, of importers that were buying from other software subsidiaries. So I took them over and added a few distributors. And there were like 10 companies I was selling to only. Uh, which took a lot of driving on not so good roads at that time. Uh, so I spent a lot of time on, on the road. And the only equipment that I had was a fax machine. Uh, so so late, later, the first technology breakthrough was uh, a modem connected to somewhere in Sweden or somewhere I don't remember. Um, and, and, and essentially, that's, that's what it was. There were local, uh, local distributors, Polish companies, local companies. And the first real change, the first real change to the market in anticipation of, 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 of the future was when the uh, international cash and carry companies arrived uh, from, from Germany. Hmm. This, this was the first change they represented. Met Metro and companies like that. Yeah, that, that was a macro, macro company. Hmm. Yeah. They represented uh, totally contemporary uh, solutions and, and uh, infrastructure. And, and of course, to be able to work uh, with them on the contemporary terms, uh, we needed to step up and, and increase our expertise and invest uh, in that. But that was the, the, the next breakthrough 
which elevated us to, uh, to, to, a, to a constant growth uh, trajectory and, uh, and made us a, a significant company. Yeah, okay. At the very start, there was no internet. There probably weren't mobile phones. Either I, what, one. I had a mobile phone. Oh, yeah, I had yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like two kilos, <laughs> and 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 the problem. With, yeah, yeah, many people remember it was uh, it was called a, uh, a mobile phone, and it was supposed to, to to fit your pocket. But when you put it in the into the pocket of your jacket, you, you know, it, it was so heavy that <laughs> you couldn't wear a jacket anymore. So yeah, but I had a mobile phone. Yeah. yeah. When you when you take a a global look back over the the past thirty years, what do you think has been the biggest change in the marketplace? I think you know the from from a perspective of, of thirty years, those changes were were quite uh, predictable, or uh, they either you know if you look, if you look at the macroeconomics, they were really predictable because these are these are the curves that that we learn at school about and. There was nothing special. The, the impact is is different every time. But but to be honest, you can expect recession. You can expect expansion. Uh, that's easy. In in the in the industry, uh, to some degree, likewise, because most of the trends arrived from the U.S. and and, and they were just a couple of years later exported into Europe. So if if someone paid attention uh, and 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 here. Uh, both internal learnings, but for instance, the, the OPI uh, magazine helped a lot, uh, sharing information and, and educating us really about what's going on on the other side of the pond. So this was quite predictable. Uh, out of the 30 years, and I know it will it will sound pretty obvious, but I would say the first real change that was totally unexpected and and uh, a real challenge is now is the is the COVID pandemic. The rest of it, I can attribute to trends, whether in macroeconomy or microeconomy in the industry. Mm. That's, that's my opinion. It could be controversial, but you know, lo- looking from the from the results, we've we've gone so, so, so much change in the industry and in my company. I mean, my company has been changing every every year, every every month, all the time, adopting but also creating certain certain trends. I think. There's still continuity until a year and a half ago, where, where uh, we, we know what happened and, and, and we know we had to improvise and there were no books about it and there were no solutions in place. So, okay, good. Um, yeah, right. Excellent. Now, I, I did have a question about the pace of change within the industry over the over the past 30 years and you kind of answered that uh, with, with, with your previous previous answer about the speed of the ch- of the change during during COVID, but prior to that, were there any periods where you thought, you know, the change change was 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 fast and quite abrupt? Uh, I don't know when when the big boxes arrived, or with internet and the rise of Amazon, or are they just part of that evolution that you, you referred to earlier? From my perspective, and I know it can be different for for uh, other people. From my perspective, it was evolution. And the reason for it is diversity of the European organization of the CELTA and of ACO. We have many markets, and of course, those changes never happened at the same time across Europe. They were happening in select countries, first the UK, normally the Netherlands, and Germany, obviously France. So we had time to 
to, to adapt and we had time to find the right balance. Uh, same for Amazon, for instance. So it, it doesn't make it easier, but it wins us some time. Uh, for instance, the, the, the very strong representation of the local champions in many markets, all markets, helps to, uh, to balance and to, to offset some of the pressures uh, from the global uh, developments. And that, that's why I never saw it as a revolution. It was a mental revolution, a technology revolution, but not a business revolution for us. It was a business evolution. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's the perspective of an international company, yeah. and it may be different. For yeah. When you look at the evolution of the reseller channel in your markets, we had the, the rise of you know, Office Depot and, and Staples over you know, beginning from mid to late 90s. I guess, and very recently, the news that the final final piece of Office Depot has been sold off to a local champion, if you like, in Raja. Very quickly, what's your, what's your view on on their rise and I, I fall? I guess is is probably the right word. It probably is if you if you look from a purely uh, expansion uh, perspective, expansion into Europe. That's of course is. Uh, uh, the end of, 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 of story and the demise of those organizations. Uh, I think uh, it's of course easy, easy, easy to, to make statements post factum, uh, but it's much more difficult to manage a business like that. But, but I always, so I can only share my instincts, you know, from the past and, and sure. the current. Uh, I, I think the, the approach initially was a little bit too triumphal. They, they, I think they perceived Europe as a, a, one of the states of America and uh, they, they did not fully uh, recognize and, and respect the strengths and, uh, of the local markets and the local players, as well as certain loyalty of the consumer to, to those channels of distribution. And uh, we as a product provider always uh, believed that we need to be uh, channel agnostic and fair to all the players and we try to to, to keep the right balance and, and, and treat everybody the same way uh, sometimes it was hard because the pressure was big but we never deviated from that approach watching the development uh, so the start was a little arrogant i would say and and maybe too arrogant uh, and then when uh, the honeymoon is over the, the the hard reality is the business is about making money and if you overinvest, if you spread yourself too thin and you play on too many keyboards, so to speak, then it's very hard uh, to keep uh, control. Uh, the the buildup of some of the central functions always amazed me. I, I'm, I'm always in favor of, of lean management, lean management structures, and, and, and watching the immense offices and buildings full of people, well-paid people, uh, doing probably some good work, but really hard to identify what this work was about. <laughs> uh, always amazing. <clears throat> and at that time I thought, wow, they are really rich and, uh, and so on. But at the same time I thought, where is this going? You, at some point you need some payback for it, right? You, you, you need to deliver. And that was obviously a challenge. Then investment into some, uh, some channels that were obsolete already at that time and superstars, for God's sake. I mean, who, who, who would take the time to go to a to, to a superstore to, to buy 
of his supplies. I mean, why would you do that? To be honest, it's it's hard to imagine, in my, my opinion. So 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 that was also certain decisions were, but there were many many things as well that were ahead of time. Real real expansion and pressure of mail order, for instance, and and then online as well. Absolutely, the, 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 they enforced changes to the market structures and processes, uh, big time. But at the end of the day, it's about economics and 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 if if costs are higher than than uh, revenue and, and profits then it's it's impossible to sustain uh, the business and then you get the uh, ownership changes and if the changes are determine your future the ownership determines your future if they if it's a, a financial sponsor of some kind private equity in particular uh, then of course it's very difficult to realize long-term strategies and and, and that's it more or less that's an indication mm. that the story is, uh, is, is over. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, that's the full circle. Yeah. What, what do you think of the rise of some of these local champions? And in some cases, they're, they are multi, multinational, but they're, they're locally owned, mo- most of them. Is, is that providing a, a good balance now for you in the market as a manufacturer? That's to be seen. You know, they're, 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 whatever we, we say about the, the depots and staples of this world, they... They were there. They they controlled a part of the market. They serviced a part of the market, and and what comes as a substitution to that is to be seen. I mean, there are certain structures need to be to be preserved. Certain structures in the markets must be built, right? And and there's uh, the the expertise. And I think it's good. It can be really refreshing. Some some of it comes from another kind of private equity, which is. Uh, on a way, in a way, dynamic but less experienced. Uh, there is packaging, for instance, which is adjacency, uh, which I think is solid and and stable uh, going forward. So, so for me, more important is there's probably higher rate of understanding of the local European markets because these are European companies. Mm. Not 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 that I have anything about against American companies. I happen to work for one, <laughs> but. Uh, a fair share of criticism uh, you will always hear from me, uh, but but I think they, they are closer. They are simply closer to to the market, closer to the consumer because they are those consumers as well. Mm. Yeah, when when you look at the the state, if I can call it that, of the office products market today, I, I don't even can we call it the office products market anymore? I don't think so. First of all, I think it does have a negative connotation. It sounds it sounds really old-fashioned mm. and uh, backwards. If you talk to younger people, yeah, my, my grown-up children, but young, they, they don't know what it is. They they, they you tell uh, tell them office products and say so. What for example? Right? Because the gap between uh, professional office products and what they use for their work, especially now working from home, is very small. It's hard to distinct what is consumer and what is equipment, mm. right? If you work from home or mobile or hybrid. Yeah. So, and, and the other side of it is, I don't think we should continue using this expression because it, it sort of diminishes our efforts, diminishes the expertise that we have across the industry of understanding consumers, channels, uh, trends, whether it's design or functionality or technology, I, I think we, we, we're putting too, uh, we, we, we're too, too shy 
calling our, ourselves uh, office products. They, 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 those divisions are no longer so rigid, in, in my opinion. Mm. At least in, in my company, we, we believe we we trans transitioning into <coughs> more consumer orientated, still experts, but understanding consumers better. Office is, is it's a building, right? So, so and, and, and those buildings are empty now, and we still continue selling, and our, our consumers continue buying, and our trade partners continue reselling. But is it still the old office products industry? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So both from PR standpoint, but, but, but also from reflecting who we really are, what we sell, to whom, and how, I think this, this uh, expression is obsolete. Yeah. Now we, we use business supplies or work workplace supplies and perhaps even even that doesn't really cover the the consumer side which which you now uh, obviously Echo has acquired uh, you know gaming company as well so you you're diversifying out of the traditional workplace area in into the home. You know I I looked co complete coincidence I looked at this morning at a catalog that one of the big global service companies provided uh, their employees with and they give them a grant they can spend so the decision power is transferred to the employee and they have a catalog online connected to a, a global uh, online reseller uh, which uh, there's a portfolio of products and you know there are office products but there are watches as well of course mm -hmm. smart watches as well they, they are uh, telephone uh, equipment there, there are accessories for iPhones I mean it's, you name it some of it is purely private use, but they perceive it as part of equipment for work from home. So, so this, this is, and I was quite shocked by that because that serves me well in our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a real example, real life example okay. how these things are mixing now. Okay. Do we have, as an industry, are we able to attract new and young leaders who, who will lead the industry into the future or, or, or there's still problems attracting you know, real talent? Yes, it is a problem. I, I think we have a problem with messaging, uh, perception. Uh, I think we are seen as an uh, old industry. That's a partly our fault. Uh, we, we call ourselves an old industry. So uh, we, we should try to change it. But it's also, in general, there are so many competing areas, so many, many competing industries that attract young talent is, is tough. It's, it's, and I can only, of course, speak from our experience, uh, representing what I strongly believe is a good company and offering opportunities. Uh, it's hard. Overall diversity is, is a challenge, whether it's age, but also gender. Uh, we are predominantly uh, men uh, in the company and we would like to change it. And we're working really hard and making slow progress. And that's the perception. But if you, if you, you know, if you, if you call yourself an office supplies company, I mean, to be honest, that it doesn't attract too, too many people. We have to we have to change the message, and we have to walk the talk there. Mm. Once we change the message, yeah. and can can this be changed? Yes, I think so. Uh, when I when I look at and talk to people who joined us recently, young people, very talented, and who got the chance to operate with the, with the newest systems, managing content, which today is the number one sales argument uh, for for a world's biggest uh, company uh, working with the world's biggest company in, on the resource side uh, they're excited and, and they, they they thrive and they and they really uh, they are so satisfied with every 
every success they have. Uh, that's that's the way to do that. That's the way to 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 develop. And uh, what else can I say? I'm yeah. I'm trying not to. All I can do, and and people like I should try to do, is not to to block those people from developing and and being successful, and also giving them their success, not not taking the success away from them. It's their success, their achievement, not mm. mine. Okay. All right. Good. Last question before we move on to some some quick fire questions. When you look, perhaps try and gaze into the future now over the next five or so years, what do you think the main trends will be that will influence the, the business supplies market, if I can call it that? If, if we distinct uh, trends from technology, because we, we know that you know, processes are changing and the, and, the, and the technology is changing. But I think the main change that I believe is already impacting us and it got accelerated because of COVID and work from home is the decision taking power is moving from a, a respectively office manager or corporate buyer or a, a merchandiser uh, if you like to that consumer yeah. because not only the understanding of the product through the right content but also the actual possibility to order the product is with the consumer and that that will continue and that will be a dominant situation in, in the market in all markets but our market that's the, that's the evolution from professional office uh, market to more consumer yeah. whether we like it or not mm. it, it is happening as we speak yeah it's an interesting point and that raises questions about how how people go to market with their uh, on the reseller side certainly with with their traditional catalogs and those types of things and what, what the future is for those for those ways of selling well i think it's you 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 answered your own question already i mean uh, that is not a very long uh, <laughs> runway so to speak for, yeah. for those old old school traditional ways of communicating and, and and it's you know some people see it as saving it is not uh if you stop printing catalogs you don't save money because you have to spend much more on communicating content differently but that's the way to do that. That's the way to go. All right, Cesare, we will we'll finish off this interview with a, a set of, of, of quick fire questions. I hope hopefully you've had a chance to, to look at those. Yeah, first one. So who is the person in the industry you have most admired and why? And I will surprise you. I, I, I have passed that one. Uh, not because there isn't anybody. It's just uh, I, I, I feel that the last year and a half, the pressure from the, the current situation on everybody is so big that it overcasts the perception of, of people and their performance and so on. And I, I wouldn't like to judge people from this perspective. If you asked me that two years ago, or hopefully a year from now, it will be much easier. But today, we looked at everybody and everything through the lens of, of, of pandemic and, and lockdowns and so on. So I, I prefer, and everybody's under tremendous pressure. So even great people have problems and they struggle and, and they may not be themselves. Uh, so I, I passed that one. Okay, fair enough. Next one. What has been the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Uh, from two people, actually, that I respected a lot uh, in my career. If you believe in something, just do it. Uh, and uh, which basically means it's, uh, 
it's easier, it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. And that's my philosophy, really. It, not, 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 not because I think I know everything best, but uh, quite often, yes. <laughs> uh, next one, what is your most memorable or proudest moment in the industry? Well, that's an easy one. Uh, that's when I was uh, given a NOCI uh, Achievement Award. <laughs> I was, hoping, I, I was uh, hoping you'd say that. Uh, it's absolutely seriously. This is this is something which uh, normally is given, quite often is given to, to people who retired, or, or you know, as, as a summary of their career. And, and I got it in uh, a few years ago. So it, it, it was a huge recognition for me, and, and, a, and a, a really a real moment of pride. Okay, great. What is your biggest regret if you have one? Yes, we were contemplating to buy ACO in 2008 or 9 and we declined. <laughs> and then the opposite happened a few years later. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But I would be, I would be in a driving seat. I was going to say you might be in a similar kind of job that you are now, but maybe maybe uh with a, i don't know but i would be i would be the acquirer so. <laughs> a couple more any funny or embarrassing moments that you can share with us well my my, my work with a celta started with a huge embarrassment on the on day one actually i was uh, i was sent to copenhagen for an induction program part of the induction program and i met many colleagues there my future friends on day one april one fool's day uh in copenhagen and uh, among those people, there was a plant manager. We had a big factory at that time in Denmark, and he was an expert, absolute expert in filing products. He knew everything about it. And we spent four hours that 1st of April talking about the leverage file. Features, colors, materials, pricing, costing, customers, competitors, everything. And I was so deeply engaged into this discussion. I took a lot of notes, asked many questions, and we had a really, really exciting debate because I wasn't able to tell him that I did not know what the phrase leverage file meant in English. <laughs> I knew the Polish name of a binder. I knew the German name of a binder. I had no idea what, I, I knew the product. I knew that there is a lever, you know, and you could not, but I did not, I, I just never heard the expression leverage file. And I told him that five years later, he couldn't believe it. That's how my work in the Celtic started. Which means, you know, you don't need to know a lot. You just need people to think that you know a lot. That's, that's how it works. Okay, and final question. If you hadn't taken that first job with the Celtic, what do you think you will be doing now? I don't know, you know, of course, I have no idea. But I, I could be a politician, maybe. Oh, I had some thoughts yeah. in the early days about that. I'm glad I never went this path, but I'm, I'm happy with the way it developed, but could be an option. Okay, so not necessarily a career in sales, something completely different. Well, it was a coincidence, you know. It, 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 it all, it's a long series of, of, of lucky events. Okay, great. Okay, Cesari, thank you very much. And I say this to a lot of people now, hope to see you at a real live event in the not too distant future. Thank you, Andy. I can't wait. I, I'm, 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 you know, we, 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 we're coping, but I really hate it. Uh, I mean, not, not being able to meet people. So sure. looking forward to that. Me too. Okay, Absolutely. great. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Cheers.
If you have got this far, then thank you for listening to this episode of OPI Talk. Please check out our website, opi.net, for news, interviews, analysis, and much more from the business products world. We've also got a great app that you can download from the App Store or Google Play. Just search for OPI Magazine. And we hope you will join us again soon for another episode of OPI Talk.